This episode of Find It is part of a two-part series about Grossingers. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly encourage you to do that first. Okay. It's amazing to me how many lights they have. Yeah. And even in the pool, too. What you just heard was a recording from the winter of 2016 when I first saw the indoor pool space. The sound of glass and ice was under our feet. And it's just amazing to listen back to this and realize that it's all gone. This amazing space with all of its beauty, energy, and memories is gone. You're thinking, like, now it's thinking. And, that, like, now you feel it. Like, holy shit. I mean, like, like a lost friend, like the JNG building. Or, and, and, and it sounds weird. But it, I guess for you or me, like, we understand it. Most people I speak to think I'm crazy when I tell these stories. In this episode, we'll tell you the story about the decline of not only Grossinger's, but all the resorts in the Catskills. Then later, the decay, and how, depending on who you ask, despite the decay, there's so much beauty that is still visible in these places. So many people refer to the decline of the Borscht Belt as the three A's, airlines, air conditioning, and assimilation. Elaine explains. And then, uh, of course, People did not come to the hotels, and not just grossing it, as frequently because the necessity of the hotels, as far as their personal lives were concerned, was taken care of by the fact that the country clubs in the metropolitan area were now, although they did not permit Jews, they, uh, the Jewish men, women I assume, put money together and built country clubs. The city wasn't hot anymore because you had your the city was hot, but your living isn't because you had wonderful, wonderful um, air conditioning. And then, of course, we have our friends, the airlines. They their rates were so inexpensive. Someone was able to take their spouse to Paris for a week for what it cost to take them to Grossinger's. In fact, even a little bit less. And, of course, the snob appeal by saying, well, well, I took my wife or I took my husband to Paris for the week instead of going up to the mountains. And that's what started the demise of the hotels. But they were glorious days. of famed winter sports show places, Garmisch, Kitzbühel, Lake Placid, and another, Grossinger's, New York, for the ninth year in the sight of the world's barrel jump championship. The sport itself is rarely seen elsewhere. So the property sat for a very long time, but it wasn't long until people found it, some with permission and some not. Marissa explains the origin of her book project and how Grossinger's came to sit for so long. The recording cuts out a bit here, but you'll be able to understand the gist of it. 
Yeah, I I started the project in a very loose way in 2011. And then by 2012 to 2015 was really focused on it. Um, And I'd say that in that time, um, even my own access to Grow Singers, having um, known the caretakers, it shifted because the owner shifted, the plans for the hotel shifted. You know, this is a hotel that was supposed to reopen in 1989 that never did. And it was probably supposed to be taken down decades ago. And because of many reasons, whether they're economic, um, political, um, the region due to what is the next rebirth of the Catskills and the Borscht Belt as, you know, what is its next phase that has long been, you know, talked about pretty much my whole childhood. So Grossinger's really sat there since 1989 up until the tail end of 2018. So you could consider it a modern day ruin because that's what it looked like. It was like fragments um, or remnants of a very opulent, glorious hotel. In 1986, Grossinger's was sold and the owners at that time had plans to reopen it, even adding a new lobby. But eventually they failed to open the resort, succumbing to the massive costs. Other companies tried and failed too, It was later sold to real estate developer Louis Capelli, who has owned the property for some 20 years. But more about that later. Urban exploring, or urbex, is the exploration of anything man-made, abandoned, or otherwise not usually seen components of our man-made environment. Photography, history, and storytelling are often featured in the hobby. There are some unofficial rules to urbex, such as never explore alone, take only photos, leave only footprints, and never break anything to enter a space. These rules and more you can read about in a Huffington Post article all attached to the show notes. Now, I do want to mention that this podcast does not endorse trespassing in any way. There are eyes on all of these places, and you can be arrested. That said, many people entered the resort over the years. When I saw it in 2016, it was Christmas Day, it was snowing. There was a road in the back with no barrier, no guard, no signs. I'd say, you know, there's a disclaimer in the book that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you go to any of these places, even though they are seemingly abandoned, there are eyes on all of them. And I think people should be aware of that. Um, I know that people weekly get arrested and there are issues with the police and And because I know some of the police, they're frankly tired of it. So I think that they're making it a point to keep arresting people, you know, so be careful. Urbex to many is an incredibly powerful experience. Seeing historic places and nature reclaiming these places is sad, but it's also sobering. You realize that humans and their structures are not permanent and nature will always win. But it's clearly not understood by everyone. It was, it was horrible, and I just never understood one thing, that people would go up there and get on the grounds, which they weren't supposed to do, and take pictures of all this, these shambles, broken windows, and, and then put them on Facebook. I just don't understand. But Marissa has a different take on it. It's not for everyone. And um, I also think that unfortunately, there's this thing that goes along with urban exploration where people love to call it ruin porn. And I frankly um, can't stand that phrase. It's a fine line. 
I think it could become rune porn when you're photographing something and you oversaturate the shit out of it, honestly, and just jack up everything and make it look like it isn't. You know, I think photography is very powerful, but I think it's also very manipulative. And you can take the moss green of an indoor pool at Grossinger's that's literally growing like a shag carpet across the entire floor. And you can photograph it and it looks like beautiful green moss. But you can take a filter or Photoshop and jack it up so it looks like neon. And I think you lose the integrity of the photograph. And I think that's where the term rune porn comes from. And I think that's why there's a lot of distaste for it. Um, and then there's also people that don't understand why, you know, one would like to go adventure in an old abandoned building for the day. Um, but, you know, there are other things that people do that I don't understand. So um, it's like to each their own. But how did Marissa gain access? And what other things did she experience while photographing the space? So we moved up there in 1987 and my parents still live up there. Which is why I think the book um, became possible, all of the exploration and the constant visiting of hotels, all of that was facilitated because I, I am a former local, my parents are locals, and there was always this connection that I was able to make, whether it was a friend that knew how I could access an owner or um, a stranger that would tell me about a hotel that I didn't know existed um, or a family member that would come with me. Um, so it, it kind of fell together like dominoes, I think, because, um, because of my connection and because I was able to spend long periods of time there and not just kind of zip in for the day and then leave. It was, you know, weeks at a time, months at a time, and, and it ended up being five years in total. So do you have a favorite photograph of Grossinger's? Yeah, I think um, I will never forget um, this one photograph I made in the book um, was probably the most exciting. And the reason why is because, you know, going to Grossinger's, you know, a dozen times in all four seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall, it always yielded a different color, a different texture, a different mood. And I particularly remember going to the indoor pool, which is a, it's so tragic because it's one of the most beautiful indoor pools I've ever seen and it's gone, but this majestic indoor pool, Olympic size, um, floor to ceiling windows, beautiful mid-century modern wood, um, wonderful Sputnik, these old um, chandeliers. And, um, you know, you walk in and I think I believe uh, it was probably this time of year. And I saw um, a sheet of ice covering the tile on the floor. Um, and through that sheet of ice grew this very delicate, almost like it looked like a pencil stroke of a plant and it had some green flowers budding off of it. And I thought that that was like sublime. Um, the plant was up to my knee and I think it became, you know, it was peculiar and it was beautiful and it became magical because of course I knew I was going to go to the indoor pool that day and photograph what I saw, but I never could have, um, dreamed of seeing this, like, such a strong, beautiful plant growing up literally on the, you know, and in the indoor pool, it's the second floor. So it's growing up through foundation and concrete and rubble. And there was just something so special about it. It felt like it was this new life emerging out of something that was dead. I had a lot of strange experiences in the sense at first I was really 
I was scared. You know, I'm going into these places. There's no lights. They're dark. Um, at first, it was very eerie and spooky. Um, I had seen remnants of people living there. Occasionally, um, ran into skateboarders and paintballers. Um, but what became almost like mystical, um, or at least I took it that way, is I remember a couple of times pulling up to the hotel and it was like a beautiful, nice day. And I got out of the car and there was just this tremendous breeze. And it was like an intense breeze. And I remember being there with a, a friend of mine and we were like, whoa. And I was like, oh, maybe this is like the welcoming spirits. And I had spoken to someone who remarked that, you know, ghosts typically, you know, um, often inhabit places like ghosts with with mal um, or, or kind of, um, you know, ghosts that have left this earth, maybe unsettled often haunt places, um, you know, and, and there's a scary element to it, but because Grossinger's was literally for most of all the people I think that went there, just a place of total fun and joy and, and love and memory. Um, I felt like, you know, these weren't bad ghosts if they were ghosts, if you want to call it that. Um, but even more, what I felt was energy, you know, it's impossible to kind of walk onto that outdoor pool and see how big it is and look at the cabanas and look at the lawn chair sitting there and not be able to, I mean, for me, you know, to close my eyes for a second and think like, wow, could you just imagine what this place looked like on a Saturday afternoon packed to the brim people with like little fuzzy umbrellas and drinking and like cool retro bathing suits and, you know, the sounds and the noise, you know, I think, I think what's hard for people especially people that maybe went to Grossinger's as a child that look at my photographs or others photographs of these worn down, you know, rubble, um, the ruins of the hotel is, you know, they look at them as so sad. But one of my goals when I talk to people about my work is in the hope that they see that shift where yes, like the remains are sad. It's melancholy and it's tragic that that era is gone. Um, and it's bittersweet, but behind, I think all of the rust and all of the decay and the growth and the mold, if you open your eyes a little bit, you see the majesticness that's still there. And, um, for me, it became this obsession to just find anything that told about the Borscht Belt. Um, obviously it was interested in history, but the photographs became very contemporary and very present day because it was everything that had affected the hotel, whether it was other people, whether it was mother nature, whether there were birds living in uh, the Jenny G building, literally the Jenny G building. I walked up there one day, there was 20 birds just flying all over the hallways. And there's one that ended up being in a photograph of mine. It's kind of flying by the window. Um, it's another one of my favorite photographs. Um, so, um, you know, it's like the hotel obviously was never supposed to turn into, um, you know, this kind of landscape that mother nature has taken back and birds and deer were living, living on the property. And, you know, I saw turkeys running across the field. Um, but there was something so cool about that. And, um, you know, I, I get that it's sad for a lot of people, um, you know, maybe not the urban explorer kind who I think understands the excitement and the adventure of that. Um, 
but you know, when you get an area that used to be so special to people, um, there's a lot of, um, I guess there's a lot of commentary that I've gotten about the book, but overall, you know, I feel like I grew up there. I have respect for the area. And, um, as a result, like I don't manipulate my photographs. I don't touch anything. I don't move anything. Everything is just left up to however else someone, you know, made that room or whatever happened in the space. Um, and I shot on film and I used a medium format film and a tripod and would really just kind of take my time and, and go back dozens and dozens of times because each, each visit unfolded something new. And that's why it was so exciting to keep going back. You know, I think like with regard to at least, you know, the spaces that I was photographing in my book, there was such a unbelievable color in the Borscht Belt, in its architecture and its design, you know, it was literally fifties and sixties. So think about the colors of those era. They're yellow and they're green. I mean, they're vibrant, they're blue, there's purple. And, um, you know, some of my photographs, I look at them and it's every single color of the rainbow and they're a little bit faded obviously over time, but I thought that that made them, you know, even more interesting where you have this like worn, electric blue couch that's velvet that just looks, you know, faded in some spots and then really like a remnant of that, like, you know, deep blue still there. Um, and for me, like there was never a question about like manipulating because I thought that the spaces gave me visually everything that I could have ever asked for. I love hearing Marissa explain the beauty she saw at Grossinger's in its decaying state. To Harold, his wanting to see the property in its decayed state was personal and emotional. What's going to the people of the golf club, asking people for permission, begging them, hey, can I walk along the property? Because, of course, I didn't go in the buildings. I'm afraid of getting arrested and stuff, you know, and de dealing with the, those kind of situations. Um, so I was like begging the guy, hey, can I just walk the grounds? And he said, no, you can only stay on the road. And he, he, I, I went with three other kids. They said the kids, get the F out of here. You, you, you can't do anything here. You can't take pictures here. And with me, I tried to uh, beg the guy. So he said, okay, you can walk on that eastern perimeter road. Um, and I just wanted to walk the grounds, not even to go into the building, just to walk the grounds. And they, and they wouldn't let me. But just walking through there, like I, I was there for like hours, uh, you know, like staring through the windows into the um, indoor pool building, seeing the diving board, seeing the terracotta um, checkerboard uh, floor over there, um, just admiring the, the, the beauty of it. And then they went to me after two, three hours and said, like, how come you're staying here for two, three hours? Aren't you bored? And I'm like, no, this is, this is amazing. Just walking on the road, seeing the eastern side of the Harry G building where it used to be connected to the um, Eddie Cantor building. And now you just see some like, um, you know, where there's like some diagonal um, attachment of what used to be the Eddie Cantor building before it was demolished in 1986. Um, seeing, I'm a, was painfully aware that the buildings look much better on the outside than the inside. Inside, I've seen pictures and videos, and they've looked, unfortunately, very, very badly vandalized, which, um, it, which was terrible. It's, it, it, we were robbed of what the place really, the beauty of what the place really looked like on the inside. Aaron, as you said so astutely, even being badly vandalized, it was still immensely beautiful. I mean, talking about the uniqueness of different places, going to the place where all the, in the pool wing, where all the um, coffee shop stools were standing until they were knocked down in 2012 by, by, by vandals. I sat on one of those um, 
schools or probably many of them ordering and enjoying different food. I remember the, the coffee cake there was really delicious. Sadly, and perhaps due to the attention of urban explorers, vandals did eventually find their way in. Marissa tells me about the sadness she felt when she heard about what happened to the bowling alley at a nearby resort, the Homowack. Yeah, you know, I went to the Homowack one day with a friend and um, the bowling alley was beautiful. And then um, he had pointed out on Instagram like a few months later how someone had just gone in there with, um, you know, a can of spray paint and just destroyed those beautiful bowling alley casings. And, you know, unfortunately, I think, you know, you get these abandoned places and people that are bored or people that like think this is what is okay to do. And um, that's really what happens to a lot of the spaces. But in a lot of the cases, I try to just incorporate that as another textural or color element into the photographs. Um, You know, going back to Grossinger's, I don't know if you went when the green bar stools are up, but there was a coffee shop and there were these beautiful green, it's the last photograph in my book. And it's um, all the stools are kind of in a row and there's no coffee shop counter left. And the green was like the, it was like an electric green. It's, it's, um, it's such a strange color. And I remember being so entranced by those stools. And then, you know, on another visit back, I went back and, I saw the baseball bat on the floor that someone had taken to the stools and knocked them all down. And, you know, you know, um, you know, do some cardio kickboxing and punch, punch the air and like, you know, get out your aggression that way. Um, but you know, I guess I respected the space and I think there's just a lot of people that don't. And, um, you know, but those green stools are so gorgeous and to see them on the floor, like, that was what kind of, to me, what was sad, not what the. The vandalism is perhaps the worst part of seeing these places. And as Marissa said, there is a respect for the. The vandalism is perhaps the worst part of seeing these places. As Marissa said, she has a respect for this space and some people just don't do that. Elaine tells me about the first time she saw the buildings in the state. All I can tell you is it was absolutely depressing. I was up there. Um, I was being honored by the local school district for their wall of honor or whatever. And we got We arrived earlier than we than the event started. And we rode around, and of course, at that point, the buildings were in disarray. They part of them had crumbled. The swimming pool, the Olympic-sized indoor pool, which was one of the most magnificent in the country, was all full of mold and moss and all kinds of wild plants. And it was absolutely depressing. And uh, I can't imagine how Elaine and Howard must have felt seeing this space in such shambles. It's personal to them. They knew it. After the break, the buildings come down. But what can we take away from all of this?
for photos and more, go to the finditpodcast.com website. I'll have links to some of Marissa's photos and Harold's photos. There will also be links to articles about urban exploring, future plans for Grossingers, and related articles you'll find interesting. I also started a Facebook group called Find It. On there, you'll be able to talk about the show, but also share your own adventures and stories that you've found. Just ask to join and I'll approve you. Also, as a reminder, if you haven't already, please give us a five-star review on whatever service you're listening on. Thanks. That is the sound of the Jenny G building coming down. When Harold found out that the buildings were being demolished, he went back to Liberty to see it. From afar, he explains what he saw. You know, in the background, and then we took a picture from the south where you saw like two thirds of the pool wing gone and the indoor pool building, you know, exposed where you could see into the beams in the ceiling from, from, from a long distance. Um, you know, and when we were standing outside and this was going on, we were screaming. I, I started screaming and my son joined me, long lip Grossingers, long lip Jetty G. Long live Jenny G. What an image. From all the research I've done, it looks like the current owners have tried numerous plans to revitalize the resort. But as Marissa said, due to one thing or another, it just hasn't been possible. In a 2017 New York Times article, it states, in the spring, Louis Arcapelli, a Westchester-based real estate developer who has owned the complex for two decades, applied to the State Department of Environmental Conservation, requesting that a portion of the property be designated a brownfield or contaminated site. The former resort is now a hodgepodge of scores of crumbling buildings on hundreds of acres. Land, he says, is laden with chemicals spilled by dry cleaning and machine repair shops. Such a designation would make the property eligible for state funds to help with the remediation of the soil and groundwater, a necessary first step, Mr. Capelli says, to bring back the world-class resort. Also, in a Record Online article, they state that, Capelli's redevelopment of Grossinger's also could include a spa wellness center, spaces for conventions and live music, indoor and outdoor pools and tennis courts, an assisted living component, and improved trails on the site's undeveloped land, according to the DEC application. Honestly, this topic could warrant an entire episode itself. It gets pretty heated depending on who you ask. For the sake of this episode, I'm going to leave those details there. I feel like what's happened has already happened. It's gone. So instead, I think the focus should be on the beauty of this place, both when it was alive and in its decay, and the memories it left with all of us. This place brought wonder and joy to thousands, and we all had a special connection to it. I remember the day I first heard Grossinger's was being demolished. Another Urbex person sent me a photo on Instagram. It was the diving board from the indoor pool building. It was fully exposed to the sky. The entire building around it was just rubble. And although I've only seen this place one time, it made such an impact on me. I remember feeling like I lost a friend somehow. 
I'll put that photo on the website. Harold had a similar but more deep reaction. Like it really sinks in now. It didn't sink in then. When I went back back then, I'm like, well, maybe they'll keep some of it, maybe they'll whatever. And it was so nice to see. It's like you came and you see it and you just felt something that you were still there. You're like, hey, I'm here. It's it's here. And you think it's it's going to be. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just like it didn't sink in. Like now it's sinking in. That, like now you feel it. Like, holy shit. I mean, like. Exactly. That's 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 how, that's how it felt like with the, exactly like, like a friend, like a lost friend, like the Jenny G building, or and, and and it sounds weird, but it, I guess for you or me, like we understand it. Most people I speak to think I'm crazy when I tell these stories. Harold reminded me of a 2013 song that was about Pompeii, a city that was destroyed by a volcano in 79 A.D. But he makes an eerie but meaningful connection between the song and Grossinger's. It's like, it's like I, I don't know, I may have touched on that song, basically the song by um, uh, Bastille, uh, Pompeii. Okay, so it, says, it goes in the beginning, something about, I was caught up in all my vices, I guess I was there as a kid, I did got into situations, whatever there, and there's nothing to show for it, like, and unfortunately, because it's, there isn't because they destroyed everything, unfortunately, um, you know, which I'm furious about. I mean, I just have to share that. I'm trying, I try to control myself, but I'm very furious about that. You know, obviously the walls keep tumbling down in the city that we love, right? Because it was like a city, you know, a big complex of all these buildings was almost like a little city uh, that we loved, obviously. Great clouds rolled over the hills. It was a hilly territory. So darkness from above, meaning the powers that be, whether it be the owner or those in power. There's something about the dust on your pose or something, and there was plenty of dust there when I was there. If you close your eyes, nothing's changed at all. I, you've been there before. Yes, we've all been there before. There's probably three other things that I forgot about, too. Grossinger's, as we knew it, is gone. A place so vibrant when it was open, and to others still vibrant even after it closed, in a very different way. But what can we take away from all of this? I think Marissa explains the meaning and purpose of her book in a beautiful way that speaks to a larger message. Well, I guess it's a little dark, but, um, you know, I consider the book and the whole Borscht Belt series that I made in two veins. One is that it's an elegy to an era where the photographs kind of are speaking for the remains. And on the other side of that breath or that sentence is that the book is a celebration um, because it was such a cherished moment in particularly Jewish American history. Um, and it has tremendous roots um, in Jewish culture 
and importance. And, and I think it always will. And it's a beautiful landscape. And yes, it's been really stagnant for, you know, 30, 40 years, but, um, and there are many towns popping up and obviously, you know, to the urban explorer, um, the landscape is going to change. Um, but I encourage people to go up there, even if they can't go in the ruins of Grossinger's and, you know, just check it out because there's a reason why people have gone up to the Catskills for hundreds of years. And, um, I think there's a reason why people are going to start going again. It's true. The region is so beautiful and has so much to offer. As for Grossinger's, the old Grossingers is no more. Might it come back in a new form? Maybe. But maybe it's good to focus our attention on all the experiences, new and old, that were made there. The laughter, the beauty, the energy that is Grossingers. Elaine shares with me the very last time she was there and how it made her feel. I, I went up to the golf course and the golf course, the owner at that time, really maintained the golf course beautifully. And I walked into the clubhouse, and I walked out on the uh, golf course, and I looked, and then the tears just started to come, because that was such a an important part of the hotel, and it also was for my family, because my two sons captained the golf team at Columbia. My husband played. My brother was just, I mean... The, the golf course was his baby. And it was all this reminiscing. And I thought to myself, but look at it this way. Look how many people were made happy by this. And happy? Well, that's an understatement. Thanks to all the people that helped me make this episode of Find It. Thanks to Marissa Scheinfeld. Make sure to check out her website, borschtbeltbook.com. And if you're in the Albany area in 2020, make sure to check out her traveling exhibition at the Albany State Museum. And thanks to Harold Lieberman. Listening to that Best Deal song after our interview gave me goosebumps. I can't thank you enough for sharing your connection to the song and your experience at Grossinger's. Thanks to Elaine Grossinger Edis. I can't imagine how hard it must have been to see the resort in its dilapidated state. But your message about the joy that this place brought to people was so perfect. You can hear all these interviews uncut on finditpodcast.com. There will also be a list of references and videos. Any songs or media used in this episode was for editorial purposes only, and there's no intent of copyright infringement. Other songs were licensed from audiojungle.com. As always, I welcome your comments and emails on the Find It website. And we do have a new Facebook group if you want to join and share your own adventures or stories. Episode 3 will be available really soon, so please subscribe. Thanks for listening.